Welcome back to the Community Online Podcast. This week, we're joined by Community Pastor Ted Canaris as we conclude the series, Becoming Like Jesus. Remember, you can always find us on Sundays streaming live at communityonline.tv. We hope to see you there. Today is the last message in our series, Becoming Like Jesus where we've been challenging one another to make space for the Holy Spirit to deeply form us into the image of Christ. And today is also the last day of our 21 days of prayer and fasting. I'm sure every person who engaged with us in this time of prayer and fasting has had different experiences during the last 21 days. Some of you may have had heartache or disappointment or grief. Others of you may have had deep moments of transformation or of hope or joy. In previous years, for me, I've felt major breakthroughs, and I've also experienced years that I felt more like a fight than a fast. But this year, I didn't experience any real breakthroughs or internal fistfights. I really felt like God gave me a little window into the long game, the long game that he has in mind for me and for my family. I'm leaving these last 21 days resting in the promise that these few years of hard sledding for our family will not be wasted. It's a little hard to explain, but I feel like I got a little peek behind the curtain into the the slow formation of the Spirit, shaping me to become more like Christ. Honestly, I really needed this time to reset and to refocus my life and my ministry and my energy. And our prayer for this series and for these last 21 days has been that as a community and as individuals, we would experience that deep transformation that God longs to bring, that God would transform every part of us until, as the Apostle Paul says, Christ is formed in you. As we finish this series and these 21 days, there is a sense of of ending. This specific season is coming to a close. But as it does, I think we're left with this really important question. How do we continue to move forward in our transformation? How do we not just go back, reverting to the way we were before? Well, in my experience, living out our mission, actively participating in the mission of helping people find their way back to God has often been the greatest catalyst for my ongoing and deep transformation. And I actually think you see evidence of this same pattern in the lives of Jesus's first disciples as well. See, while Jesus was on earth, he invited a small group of people to follow him. He was their teacher, and they were his apprentices. And he was preparing them to carry the good news of his kingdom to the farthest reaches of the world. And so how does Jesus train them? Well, he doesn't give them a degree. He doesn't give them more classroom time. You know what he does? He actually sends them out on mission. In Luke's account of Jesus's life and ministry, he writes this. When Jesus had called the 12 together, He gave them power and authority to drive out all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. So they set out and went from the village to village, proclaiming the good news and healing people everywhere. Now remember, these 12 disciples were not professional pastors or preachers. They were fishermen and tax collectors. They were completely unknown and completely inexperienced. And at this point, they had hardly spent any time with Jesus. They hadn't read any books or or completed any seminary courses. And yet, Jesus says to them, go, go, 
He sends them out to proclaim the good news and to carry out the work of the kingdom. I think this brings up a really important question for us to wrestle with. Do you think the disciples were ready for this? Of course not. They were nowhere near ready. One of the things that you'll notice as you read through the stories of Jesus and his disciples is how over and over again, the disciples do not have it figured out. In fact, they often completely miss the mark. For example, when they return from this adventure that Jesus just sent them on, they report to him all that had happened. They begin to share stories about how God had used them to spread the news of the kingdom. They even share stories about how God used them to heal people from diseases. And Jesus' response is to kind of try to sneak away with them in private so they can actually begin to, to debrief everything that they had experienced. And unfortunately, a huge crowd, over 5,000 people, end up following them. And as the day goes on with this mob of people slowly traveling along together, eventually people's stomachs start alerting them that it's almost time for dinner. So the disciples encourage Jesus to send the people away so that they can find something to eat. I mean, it seems like very sensible and thoughtful suggestion, right? After all, how could they possibly feed all these people? But the problem is, as this problem is often the case, Jesus sees things a little bit differently. And he replies to them, no, you feed them. Now, keep in mind, the disciples have just returned from this amazing journey where they've experienced God using them to accomplish all sorts of miraculous things, right? Diseases healed, blind receiving sight, the lame walking. So, how do you think they're going to respond to Jesus in this moment? Will they be just full of faith and ready to see God move in miraculous ways again? Uh, nope. They just straight up panic. They respond to Jesus by saying, but we have only five loaves of bread and two fish. Or are you expecting us to go buy enough food for this entire crowd? See, in this moment, we see these disciples were not exactly the pillars of faith we sometimes think of them as. This is not the response that you would expect from, from seasoned spiritual leaders ready to conquer the world. No. The truth is they're just ordinary people. People like you and me, filled with doubts and, and questions who, who seem to mess it up more than they succeeded. And yet, what I find so amazing and honestly so encouraging is how Jesus responds to all their foibles and all their follies. And if you turn the page, just, just one page to Luke chapter 10, you'll find out how he responds. He actually sends them out again. In fact, this time, he sends them out with dozens of more unprepared people. And if you think about it, throughout the disciples' time on earth, they, they never really became these spiritual giants that we know them as today. They continued to trip up and slip up and mess up. They continued to, to not get it. They continued to struggle with faith and with doubt. And they continued to struggle all the way up to Jesus' crucifixion. In fact, most of the disciples actually desert Jesus right before his death, abandoning him to die alone. And then even when the resurrected Jesus appears to Mary Magdalene, the disciples don't, they don't even believe her testimony. Instead, they're hiding and they're afraid. I think at this point, 
most of us would would call a timeout, right? Most of us would think it's time to choose somebody else. This is a pretty reasonable response by Jesus, right? Maybe to look for for a new group of people. Maybe people who are more reliable, people who could carry out this mission without so many mistakes. After all, how many times have they messed up? How many chances does he have to give them? But what does Jesus do? When he appears to them after his resurrection, before leaving this earth to return to the Father, what does he say? Well, he says this, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. Again, he tells them to go. He sends them out on the mission. Are you beginning to see maybe a little pattern here? Jesus didn't wait until the disciples were perfect before sending them out. They were inconsistent, off the mark, and often driven by fear. And yet these are the very ones that Jesus sends on mission. They weren't ready, but he still sent them. And the shocking reality is that we are still feeling the impact of their mission 2,000 years later. I think we all know how to set up a race, right? We've been doing it since we were probably little kids. You line everybody up at the same time in the same place, and you say the three magic phrases, right? On your mark, then get set, and then what? Go, right? We typically try to get everyone ready before we say go. But when it comes to carrying forward the mission of Jesus, he knew that he had to do it differently, that we needed to do it differently. He knew that in order to prepare his apprentices, they had to go in order to get ready. They had to go in order to get ready. This is the kind of hands-on apprenticeship that, that leads to deep and real and lasting transformation. Intentional times of of learning and the development of practices like the one we've been doing over these past 21 days, they're important and they're necessary, but There's nothing like being on mission with Jesus to transform you to become more like him. And you think of it this way. A surgeon can know all the steps in a procedure, but do they really know how to do the surgery until they've picked up the equipment and performed it? Or a golfer. A golfer can watch golf for hours and study all the movements of their favorite player, but but they won't really learn how to play golf until the club is in their hand. Or a parent. A parent can read all the parenting books, go to all the classes, but when it comes right down to it, they only really learn how to parent when they bring that baby home from the hospital. When it comes to the mission of Jesus, the truth is that we're not ready. But going is the very thing that gets us ready. In other words, following Jesus on mission is what actually makes us ready for mission. Let me illustrate this with a picture that I think will be helpful in understanding this concept. You see, when we find our way back to God, one of the primary ways we experience the transforming work of the Holy Spirit is by helping others find their way back to God. And then as we live out the mission, the Holy Spirit continues to grow our relationship with God as a result. This is meant to be sort of the pattern, the cycle of deep transformation in all of our lives. And it can also be the source of incredible joy in our lives. When you become a follower of Jesus, 
there's perhaps no greater blessing than being able to help someone else find their way back to God. Recently, I've been meeting with a neighbor who's in the process of finding his way back to God. He's a great guy, and I really enjoy spending time with him and being able to be there beside him as he takes steps closer to Jesus. And as he's doing this, it's really become one of the greatest joys of my life. Seeing him experience this blessing from God is an incredible blessing to me because it builds my faith. It builds my faith to see another person transformed and to see how it's transforming his marriage and his family and his parenting. And it reminds me of what God has done in my own life. In my experience, Nothing refreshes your faith and gives you more spiritual velocity and momentum than helping someone else find their way back to God. This, this image, this is how it's supposed to work. We find our way back to God and then we help others find their way, which in turns help us move forward in our own journey, which naturally overflows into helping others. And the cycle repeats again and again and again. This is the cycle of deep, lasting transformation. But here's the catch. It only works when we have both parts, finding our way back to God and helping others find their way. In fact, the process tends to fall apart if we neglect one side or the other. When you only focus on finding your way back to God, sooner or later, things will begin to break down. You can start to feel maybe stalled out in your faith, like like you just hit a wall. You can start to slip into maybe self-righteousness or critiquing the culture and people who are far from God instead of actually trying to reach them and bless them. You may eventually even get just bored in your spiritual journey and start wondering, what's the point of all this activity, all of this stuff? I wonder, can any of you relate to those feelings? Well, maybe, just maybe this is why. Now, on the other hand, if we only focus on helping others find their way back to God without cultivating our own deep relationship with God, things will eventually begin to break down as well. You may begin to feel frustrated with people around you who aren't doing as much as you. You might feel burned out by just constantly pouring out your faith and not filling it back up. And ultimately, you might become inauthentic because you'll not be personally experiencing the kind of transformation that you're trying to lead others towards. And in the end, you'll end up being the one who's missing out. However, when we commit to both parts of this cycle of transformation, finding our own way and helping others find their way back to God, the Holy Spirit will begin to do a work of transformation in us and through us, a work that will leave our lives and our world changed forever. This is the pattern of finding our way back to God and helping others find their way. This is how it's always been. This is how we experience deep and authentic transformation. And that's why we're so serious and passionate about challenging every person to live on mission. I mean, of course, we're we're passionate about helping people find their way back to God. But we also know that it's in going, it's in living out the mission that our own lives will be transformed. Now, I know that so many of us just don't feel ready to be sent. And if you're here today, you're listening and you feel that way, that's okay. 
you're right where the disciples were. You're right where you're supposed to be. Remember, you need to go to get ready. And the truth is that while it can feel overwhelming to think about helping people find their way back to God, it's actually something every one of us can live out. It's why we talk about the blessed practices so much as a church. In the very beginning, in the book of Genesis, the very first book of the Bible, God reveals his sort of blessing strategy for moving his mission forward. God established a covenantal relationship with Abraham, and he promised he'd use Abraham and and his descendants to bless the entire world. In other words, God blessed Abraham to be a blessing. When we find our way back to God, the same is true for us today. We enter into a covenantal relationship with God. We are blessed, and then God wants to use us to, to bless the world around us. And that's why we developed the simple bless acrostic. Each letter in bless represents a practice we can live out to bless others and to help them find their way back to God. The B stands for begin with prayer, the the practice of praying for people who are far from God. The L stands for listen, taking time to listen to others with kindness and compassion. The E stands for eat, sharing meals with people, getting to know them. The first S stands for serve, finding ways to meet the needs of the people we're trying to bless. And the final S stands for story, looking for opportunities to share the difference that Jesus has made in our own lives. We often only think these practices as ways to maybe bless our friends and our family or our neighbors, which they are, don't get me wrong. But what we don't often think about or talk about or see is that as we live out these blessed practices and as we bless others, we will actually be deeply blessed and authentically transformed as well. By blessing others, we are blessed. By helping others find their way back to God, we help ourselves find our way. Ultimately, it's this leaning into this cycle of transformation that we become more and more like Jesus through the power of the Spirit at work in us. And that, in reality, is the ultimate blessing. Let me wrap things up today with a story that I think illustrates what we've been talking about perfectly. I came across a story about a man named Terry Lane who lived in Jacksonville, Florida. Terry was a cabinet maker, and his business was booming, and he needed to find a bigger space to grow his business. So he built a 25,000-square-foot state-of-the-art factory in North Jacksonville, and that factory was just really quickly just humming with activity. Life was good for Terry, but his peace and comfort were very short-lived. Almost immediately, problems started erupting. Every night, the burglar alarm sounded, and he was summoned to the plant by police officers. Broken windows, shots fired, bullet holes in the walls, stolen equipment, vandalism, even incinerated cars in the parking lot. And one night, an officer asked him, what possessed you to build a plant so close to the rock? What do you mean, the rock? Terry asked. The Cleveland Arms Apartments, he responded. More crack cocaine is sold here than anywhere in Jacksonville, so we call it The Rock. The officer proceeded to enlighten Terry about his his new neighborhood in a place that was considered so dangerous that the police were hesitant to even go there themselves. Terry said he went back to his office just completely 
overwhelmed with what this might mean for him and what this might mean for his business. As he sat there at his desk, mulling over the situation, from out of nowhere came this thought into his mind that was so clear, he said it was almost audible. And it was this, it said, if you'll love those who despitefully use you, I'll take care of it. Stunned and shaken, Terry said he immediately asked, how? And again, he had a thought burst into his mind that was clearly from God and said, forget about all the shooting and all the other garbage. Look at the children. And that's exactly what Terry did. Every day, there were a lot of kids that would hang around his building. And so he started doing small things like writing, Jesus loves you on basketballs and handing them out to kids. Soon, Terry had about 40 kids a day hanging out inside his building after school. And as he sat at his drafting table working, he'd often be surrounded by kids from the neighborhood on the floor, coloring and doing other crafts that he brought in for them. Now, this was the beginning of a journey that would completely change that neighborhood and Terry's life. As years flew by, these kids slowly became a part of Terry's life. Ten years later, he first, after he first reached out to the kids at The Rock, he actually sold his share of the cabinet-making business to his partner, and he started Metro Inner City Sunday School. And when the kids got older, they started youth groups and teen programs. And Terry and his wife, they even sold their house and moved into Cleveland Arms Apartment Complex. And eventually, they established a community center there called Metro Kids Connection to help take care of the physical, academic, and spiritual needs of the kids in the neighborhood. But here's what I want you to hear about this story. Just listen to how Terry describes all that had taken place in his life and in the neighborhood. Here's what Terry says. He says, there's so much to do, but I'm excited and grateful for the direction God chose for me and my wife. We've gone from enjoying a six-figure annual income to subsisting on $12,000 a year, but God faithfully meets every need. And the rewards are incomparable. Nothing can replace the joy of having a little child crawl into my lap with a hug for Pastor Terry or for one of these young men to look me in the eye, to shake my hand with a firm grip and say, thanks, PT. All of this is my great reward for listening to God's voice and looking at the children. Yes, Terry was a blessing to the children at The Rock, but all Terry can see is how he has been blessed in the process. This is the cycle of transformation in action. A cycle of being blessed and being a blessing. A cycle of finding our way back to God and helping others find their way back to God. And as we partner with God, allowing His Spirit to do this work of transformation in our own lives, somewhere down the road, what we will see is this. Christ is formed in you. We become like Jesus See, Jesus became like us so that by the power of his spirit at work in us, we can become like him. No one was more blessed than Jesus, right? And yet he gave up everything to bless us. And he calls us to follow in his footsteps. We hope you were encouraged and challenged by today's message. 
If you'd like to take a next step, head to communitychristian.info. If you'd like prayer, please text the word prayer to 331-226-1686 and a member of our prayer team will reach out to you. To give financially to community, head to givenow.cc. Thanks for listening to the Community Online Podcast.